Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Sports Time Machine here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I'm Anna Kagaraikis, and each week we head down memory lane as I take you back in time and we remember some of the greatest moments in sports history. No flux capacitor needed. All you need to do is subscribe to the show on iTunes or any of your other favorite directories like Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Now, there have been so many great moments in games in sports history, but this week we travel back to 2003, 17 years ago when LeBron James was selected first overall in the NBA draft. Now, I've covered sports in the San Francisco Bay Area for 15 years, and as someone who's followed the Golden State Warriors during their dynastic run, I'm sure many of my normal listeners are surprised by the topic. But here's the thing. No one can deny that LeBron James has impacted the association and the players who have stepped on the hardwood ever since he was selected by the Cavaliers. We'll talk about his influence with Nick Padone, host of the Believe in Cleveland Cavs podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. LeBron James was pegged as a future NBA All-Star at a young age. He was heavily touted by the national media as a high school student while at St. Vincent's St. Mary High School in his hometown of Akron, Ohio. Now, while in high school, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, ESPN The Magazine, and even had shoe companies willing to throw money his way for endorsement deals. And that worked out pretty nicely in the end. We'll get to that later. 100 media credentials were issued for his first nationally covered game against Oak Hill Academy. The game was on ESPN2. And who was on that broadcast team? A couple names you may have heard of. Dick Vitale and Bill Walton. Now, LeBron was barely able to drive but had his own personal bodyguard and even had newspapers covering his games more than the Cleveland Cavaliers games. So, of course, the Cavs were hoping they would be the ones to shine a spotlight on the local legend in the making. When it came to the NBA draft lottery, Cleveland had a 22.5% probability of landing the number one pick. When the Cavs won on May 22nd, Cleveland chairman Gordon Gunn said his team would select LeBron James. So now we head to the 2003 NBA draft. Cavaliers on the clock with the NBA commissioner David Stern at the podium. Let's look back and relive that day. Here's sounds from the past. With the first pick in the 2003 NBA draft, the Cleveland Cavaliers select LeBron James. There he is with his mom, Gloria. Gloria sacrificed a lot, gave birth to LeBron when she was 16, on their own at 19, living on assistance, food stamps, and here they are just a short time later, $100 million in contract, endorsements in basketball, and LeBron James makes a great American story from tough times to tremendous success. The second player from high school selected first overall, Kwame Brown of the Washington Wizards doing it a couple of years ago. High school games on national TV, and what has been the most impressive to me is how he's handled the unprecedented hype. Well, you know what's amazing to me is we are actually going to see LeBron James jerseys. We're going to see Cleveland Cavalier jerseys in Montana, in L.A., in New York, in Chicago, 
not just going to be on the court. It's going to be able to, it's going to be felt all across the landscape of America. And here is LeBron James on the Sprite set with Michelle Tafoy. Mike, thanks. LeBron, this was a moment years in the making. And even though you knew you were going to be the top pick in the draft, you said you weren't sure how you'd feel when David Stern actually called your name. So I have to ask you, <laughs> what was the moment like? Uh, it was great. You know, this is a long-time dream to finally accomplish this, and it finally shows that the hard work has finally paid off for me. And a lot lies ahead. You will most certainly be the most scrutinized rookie in the history of the NBA. What will make a successful season by your definition in the rookie year? You know, seeing our team get better every day. I think that's going to be the biggest accomplishment for us because last year we won pretty good, but if I feel like we get better every day as a team, that's going to be my biggest goal this year. There has been some talk that they might want to play you at the point guard. <laughs> what do you think? I think I'm going to be ready for it. You know, for anything that Coach Siles need me to do for my team to win, I think I'm going to be happy about it. Sound courtesy of ESPN. You know, his impact truly was felt in the country and the world. He's a global brand and a player who focuses on his craft. But for more on LeBron and his impact on the league and beyond, let's go back. Back to June 26, 2003 with Nick Padone. Rhodes? Where we're going, we don't need Rhodes. All right, now we're going to go back in time with Nick Padone, host of the Believe in Cleveland Cavs podcast. Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to do this one. It's going to be fun, but I will say this is a bit of a difficult interview for me. I've grown up in the Bay Area. I've been a Warrior fan since the run TMC days. But I will say that I do appreciate LeBron James's talent and what he's brought to the NBA. But with that said... First off, let's talk about your podcast here. You know, you, how long you've been doing this podcast and what's your relationship with the Cavaliers? Yeah, for sure. So I'm actually just starting off the Believe in Cleveland Cavs podcast. Uh, I'm only about four episodes deep. This week will be episode number four. But I'm excited to get rolling with it. The Cavs were my first love and a big part of that was LeBron. I do a little bit of work up here with a couple of different blogs as well as work part-time with the content guys over at ESPN Cleveland. So I've had the opportunity to cover a few Cavs games here in Cleveland where I'm, you know, recording this podcast from. So I'm super excited to, you know, get rolling and cover the team, even though it's a bit of a rebuild right now. No worries. You know, we've seen throughout the NBA how these things work. So it's going to be an extremely exciting podcast, and I'm hoping that it grows as well as the team grows, if that makes any sense. Well, I completely understand. I'm completely happy to be part of the same team as you. But let's go back now to LeBron James. LeBron was the clear-cut number one pick. He was a kid from high school. I mean, it's not like Zion who dominated the NCAA. This was a high schooler. I mean, the guy was going to prom, I don't know, senior barbecues, whatever he had. But what was it like for him as a young player in terms of attention, and how did he handle all of it? Yeah, um, the media attention was crazy, really, from the time that LeBron was 15. And so many people have heard the story of LeBron and his mother, Gloria, who gave birth to LeBron at just 16. They're literally the NBA perfect rags to riches type story where LeBron truthfully came from nothing. So playing at St. Vincent St. Mary, which at the time was really a predominantly white school with his two best friends, 
he really made a name for himself and made a name for that school in the area of Akron, Ohio. And then, like you said, um, all throughout the draft process, throughout his senior year, it, everybody knew that LeBron was the clear-cut answer. And going back and watching that draft lottery last night for the 2003 draft, it was just the anticipation and the build-up. Because the Cavs, while they weren't the worst team in the NBA then, they were pretty darn near close to it. They didn't have any real bona fide superstar and just having the opportunity to sit up there with those 12 other teams to have a chance at landing a player like LeBron James was huge for the organization. And obviously, you know, the ping pong balls flew their way and the Cavs logo ended up in the envelope with the number one pick. Yeah, 22.5% probability for the Cavaliers to get that number one pick. And they did. They ended up getting not only the number one pick, they got the best player in the world, but they also got a player who grew up in Akron. You know, what did that mean to not only the franchise, but also to the fans in Cleveland to get someone of that caliber from their own hometown? It's incredible. It truly is. And that's why, like, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later, but, like, the move to Miami hurt so much, and then the move to L.A. hurt a little bit still. But people here love LeBron. Like, when you think Cleveland, when you think Akron, you think LeBron. And I've had the privilege of being in the St. Vincent St. Mary gym, which is now renamed LeBron James Arena many times. And it's so cool how it's just tricked out. And the whole city, truthfully, is with his jersey and the rafters and his name and his logo all over the arena. It's just awesome to see. And like you said, Cleveland needed a guy like that. That was at a time where also the Browns weren't very good. The Indians were in one of the worst stretches of the franchise's long history. So the, having LeBron be this young superstar from the city was so needed for the city sports scene. And then pretty much right when LeBron came here, the impact that he had on the community was he hit the ground running with that. He did all types of things for kids in Akron as well as inner city Cleveland with different bike events. And now we know about his LeBron James Foundation, which is just a massive charity with his own school. But even right when he was drafted as an 18-year-old kid turning 19 years old, he always found a way to give back to his roots and where he, was, where he came from. So for a city like Cleveland, that's a small market team that really didn't have much of an opportunity in free agency and never really does. And his hometown of Akron that watched him, you know, grow up, it was just such a huge deal at that time. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the philanthropy and the charity that he's done. He's taken it to a whole new level. And that rags to riches story, I mean, it's got to be a lot of his own childhood has really made an impact on how he wants to give back to his own community. Yeah, for sure. And he talks about it all the time where he sees the I Promise children that are in his foundation. And he says, you know, this was me at one point. This was LeBron James that didn't know where his next meal was going to come from or didn't know wh- which house that him and Gloria were going to be living in, you know, in the, in the following months. So he relates to all these kids that he's so much helping out and changing their lives, giving the graduating classes free ride scholarships to the University of Akron. I mean, he's done just a tremendous job in the city with all of his philanthropy. And even when he left for Miami and now in L.A., that's that's always continued his philanthropy work in the city of Akron and the city of Cleveland. Well, now let's go back to where his journey all began in the NBA. We'll go back to June 26, 2003, the NBA draft. What do you remember about LeBron James getting drafted that night? 
Oh man. I mean, everybody knew it was the pick. I remember that white suit. Yep. I remember how professional he was in that, you know, that whole night with the interview of him sitting there, you know, just talking about his expectations. And at the time, a lot of his peers, both on the Cleveland Cavs and elsewhere in the NBA, weren't really in love with the idea of LeBron being this global superstar that he had already emerged into being. And so many players almost discredited his his on-the-floor ability, saying, yeah, this LeBron James is great, but how many 18-year-olds do we see make the jump and they're able to have this superstar impact and live up to the hype? So what I remember from that night is LeBron just sitting up there at that table and handling those interviews so professionally, the way that he still does now into his mid-30s, seeing how you know his first year off rip, he just wants to see the Cavaliers team improve. And it was a team that didn't have much success the year prior, but as long as he sees improvement every game, that that's really all he's looking for. And so many 18-year-olds now, you know, especially in the age of social media and things, you don't see that kind of professionalism and that kind of humbleness. And a lot of times these big superstars, it goes right to their heads and they blow up and fizzle out. But LeBron, from the time he was 15 years old until now with the Los Angeles Lakers, he's never really had a moment where he's cracked under pressure or shied away from that limelight of being this gigantic superstar that he was made out to be at such a young age. That's actually a perfect way to say because just thinking about how when you watch him when he was drafted, he was a young man, but he looked like a full-grown man, and he had such a mature attitude about him that it was something that was kind of... I mean, I think about when I was in high school and what I was like when I graduated from high school was nothing like that. I was in a whole different mindset, obviously. But let's talk about that draft class. That 2003 draft class is known for having one of the most talented pools in NBA draft history. 15 players combined for 26 championships. You had guys like Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Carmelo Anthony, just to name a few of them. Now, some of those players from that draft class are still playing, very few, but most are retired. You even had some busts like the Serbian apple farmer, Darko. How has LeBron actually changed the association when it comes to athleticism? I think th- that's a great question. And I think it stems from something. I went and rewatched his draft last night that they asked him immediately after he was drafted, moments after he stepped foot off the stage after shaking the commissioner's hand. And it was, there's been talk... The reporter asked him, there's been talks about the Cavs playing you at point guard. What are your thoughts on that? And he said, I'm willing to help the Cleveland Cavaliers in whatever way possible or something of that nature. So I think he's changed basketball in a similar way as Steph Curry, as it's kind of positionless now Mm -hmm. in the sense that LeBron pushes the ball up the floor all the time. And he's also given the players an unprecedented level of power. And, you you know, some people take that for a good thing. Some people take it as a really bad thing. But we saw that here in Cleveland with the Cavaliers organization firsthand. I know the documentary will be coming out this weekend of a behind-the-scenes look of the decision and everything that played into LeBron leaving Cleveland for Miami and starting a little bit of a trend of, you know, superstars could go wherever they want, whether it to be forming super teams or just playing with our friends, playing in cities that they like. And then we saw in 2014 when he came back to Cleveland or just wanting to simply play back home and be back home. So he he brought a different power to the professional athlete that I don't think we really saw before because no athlete as big as LeBron James 
made such a huge production out of leaving a team to go to a new one. So I think that as well as his on the floor abilities of just to play any position are just a few of the ways of how he kind of shook the NBA universe from day one. The 10 year anniversary of the decision is coming up July 8th. Crazy to think about how that all went down. I'm sure when he looks back on it, he's talked about why he made that decision. Do you think he learned something? What did he learn from the way he made the announcement? I think he regrets it, really. Because like I was saying, there's not much stain on a LeBron James career and the way that he's handled himself. I think that could be possibly a moment when we look back at the entire LeBron James movie or the entire 10-part LeBron James documentary. I think that could be a little bit of a stain on that, especially just because the whole way it was milked up on national TV. He didn't tell any of his Cavalier teammates. He didn't disclose anything with the Cavaliers ownership of Dan Gilbert. And I think that could really be a stink. I think that is kind of one of the moments that LeBron probably regrets throughout his career was just the way that that was handled. And we saw that through his move to Los Angeles from Cleveland. He did it super, almost silently, it came out in a, first in a Tom Withers, who was one of our reporters up here, broke the news first. Obviously, the big reporters were immediately after. LeBron's um, clutch owner or clutch uh, representative group put out a quick paragraph statement on social media, and that was it. There was really no big production with LeBron leaving here the second time, whereas the first time, it just it, it turned so many people off of LeBron James that I don't think he'll ever do anything like that ever again. Yeah, it was a complete 180 when he went to the Lakers and how he announced that. When you look back on it, we've seen the video of the burning jerseys. You know, as someone who actually covered it locally, who's been around Cleveland, obviously, what was it like in Cleveland at that time? I thankfully was on vacation when all that happened, believe it or not. So I watched that from my hotel <laughs> But really, it was just a lot of angry, drunk people in bars is what I would say. It was only a handful of people that burned their jerseys. Like, if you look up on YouTube, like, LeBron James jersey burning after the decision or whatever, you really only see the same clip over and over. It was only one group of guys that decided to do that that got really big. But obviously, that was the clip that really hung around. And we saw that all throughout LeBron's tenure with the heat especially his first game back when he came back here to cleveland but people were just so upset and i remember the hottest shirts for all the bootleg you know t-shirt companies were the quitness shirts after lebron's nike campaign of witness That's with right. the upside down nike slogan you know people here were so hurt and then dan gilbert the Cavs owner majority owner puts out that infamous letter written in comic stands guaranteeing that the Cavaliers will win a championship before the self-proclaimed king ever does. I mean, it was just a nasty, bitter hatred towards LeBron James. And really, as somebody that was born here, raised here, and now works here, a part of me will always believe that some of that was warranted just because the city felt so backstabbed by one of their own and that it could have just been handled so much better, but it ultimately wasn't. Well, you know, you talked about player empowerment, but when he decided to actually leave for Miami, they created the big three. It also gave players a different type of power. They weren't only deciding where they wanted to play, but at that point they also decided who they wanted to play with. You know, you saw with Kevin Durant coming to the Golden State Warriors and looking back in retrospect, was it good or bad for the league? I think it's a good thing. And I know so many people hate it. 
And, you know, a lot of old heads will say that they'll never watch the NBA because it's all just everybody plays with their teams for one year and then league leaves. But I think it's good because it creates so many storylines. I mean, look at this summer alone with the whole Kawhi Leonard thing, pulling Paul George away from Oklahoma City. And then, like you said, Kevin Durant up there in the Bay Area and the Bay Area has tortured us here in Cleveland, but I still think it's a good thing because it's such a it's such a good curator of storylines, and I think it's so good for the league. And we've seen the league grow ever since that decision into more of a global game because so many people wait for not only the season, but that mid-summer and now that mid-October day where the transactions can start happening. Who's going where? Well, we know Kyrie's friends with Jimmy Butler, so would those two want to team up? It just creates so much unprecedented intrigue that baseball and football don't have. I think it definitely is a beneficial thing for the NBA as far as just the the global interest in their sport. I mean, I lived for that rivalry, the Warriors-Cavaliers rivalry. So many great storylines out of it. It was it was seriously the best topic for the longest time here in the Bay Area. So I absolutely love being a part of it and living through that up close in history. But I also look back at what else he's done for the league because really he has changed so much of the landscape in the NBA, even to the way that, you know, athletes, how they take care of their bodies, really push the idea of, you know, being in peak physical shape as in, you know, eating correctly. You don't see those videos anymore of, you know, the top athletes eating those fast food burgers. They're all about their proteins. He's really, you know, kind of elongated his career by just taking care of his body. Yeah, and LeBron, you you said it best. You know, LeBron was load management before load management was a thing. He always made it known his kind of hatred for back-to-backs in the NBA. So whenever a back-to-back game would hit, dating back to LeBron's first time around here in Cleveland, or back to LeBron's, you know, first year back here in Cleveland in 2014, as well as some of his time with the Heat, if I remember correctly, on the second night of back-to-back, a mysterious LeBron hamstring injury would arise, Mm -hmm. or a a mysterious foot injury from LeBron would arise. And, you know, some of them, I'm sure, were true and were accurate, just because his body does have that that much mileage on it. After making it to eight straight NBA Finals, I think anybody's body would start to deteriorate, break down, and not feel the same way. But LeBron just is so smart of how he goes about his training both in season and off season. He was one of the first athletes to use that chirotherapy where he was damn near freezing himself and then unthawing himself for a lack of better medical term of how that works just to get, you know, relief in his joints and in his muscles to be able to go through that playoff grind so much of the time where he was pretty much carrying guys off the street in the 2007 NBA Finals with some no-name guys. LeBron had to do all the work himself. So, yeah, like you said, he's done an awesome job, not only in-season, but out-of-season with how he prepares, you know, mentally and physically, because LeBron is also one of the smartest and one of the sharpest players. During the off-season, there's so many stories about how he does nothing but just absorbs every game that took place, even games that he didn't play in that have remotely no you know, interest towards the conference that he's in and just pays so much attention to each individual player to find out their tendencies and how they do things. He's just a different animal. And it's the same way Michael Jordan was a different animal. And truthfully, I don't know if we'll ever see another guy exactly like LeBron James ever again. Yeah, and beyond the court, he's also used his platform and willingness to actually voice his opinions 
to actually help other players voice their opinions? Do you think it's also helped get past that notion of stick to basketball? You don't have to do that. For sure. And that was a huge thing, the shut up and dribble thing. And so many people here, especially in Ohio, a little bit more of a red state, if you will, kind of disagree with that, kind of disagree with LeBron speaking up. There's a lot of people that almost dismiss him because of his lack of, you know, normal education. He did kind of go straight from high school into the NBA with not even a thought of college. So a lot of people don't appreciate that as much as you think that they should. I personally am a big proponent of it just because LeBron, like so many other things, was one of the first athletes that used his massive platform for so many social injustice issues. Before the Cavs game in 2015, I want to say, he wore the I Can't Breathe shirts with Mm -hmm. so many other NBA players. Before the ESPYs with Dwayne Wade and Chris Paul, you know, wearing those all black, even think back to his Miami heat days where they did the photo shoot with their hoods up and their fists up. Like LeBron has just been a part of so many powerful social justice moments. He's really truthfully an inspiration to so many people for that, that don't even know about his great feats on the court. I mean, you even have guys like Draymond Green who says he should run for president one day. Yeah. And who knows, who knows, maybe he will because he, he just, he has that platform. You know, he, he posts something on Instagram and it blows up, no matter what it is, whether it's a stupid Taco Tuesday thing, whether it's his son's TikTok dances, or whether it's something more serious like social justice, people listen when LeBron James talks more than any other athlete. We've had this discussion on Cleveland radio so many times where, you know, you could play a sound of LeBron's voice. And you'll know off-rip, oh, that's LeBron. Whereas you could play a clip of Odell Beckham Jr.'s voice or Jarvis Landry's voice or Francisco Lindor's voice, some other athletes here in Cleveland, and probably 50% of people will know, people that follow sports closely here. But even the people that don't follow people sports that closely here, they just they know LeBron. They know what he's about. So it's just that impact that he has on society outside of the game of basketball is unprecedented for any athlete. Yeah, and the evolution of how he's actually used media has been fascinating. You know, starting off, obviously, with the questionable announcement, with the decision in 2010. But since then, he's taken it to a whole new level with media and social media, you know, with his brands like Uninterrupted, uh, The Shop, also Space Jam 2. But how has he changed how players deliver content to its consumers? I mean, he makes it now where every athlete truly does have a voice. He doesn't leave a middleman in it. And that's part of the reason there, there's a whole underground, um, I guess you could say conspiracy, and I urge people to look into it a little bit on the of LeBron versus Adrian Wojnarowski, who does not think of LeBron too highly, according to some folks. And it's just because LeBron cuts out that middleman of the media Whenever he could have the opportunity to say something himself, he does. And with the uninterrupted and with the barbershop with HBO and everything that he does there, he gives athletes and then now even other celebrities that have nothing to do with sports. I know Drake has a role in all of this as well. Just giving them a voice to say whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want, and share it across all of the you know massive, massive social media followings to kind of cut out the middle reporters where, in LeBron's eyes, probably get things twisted, get things 
messed up. And that's why I wonder one day if there will be a LeBron James movie. And there are some LeBron James books. But will there be a 2016 NBA championship documentary? I don't know. Because as public as LeBron is, in a sense, with, you know, we feel like we know every aspect about his life, he's also pretty quiet. And he keeps a lot of things to himself and behind the curtain. And I feel like a lot of people don't know that. And they definitely probably got a taste of it in the latest LeBron decision where he kind of fled the country with his closest friends and family into their quote-unquote decision cave wherever they were at. I still don't know if that uh, location was disclosed to find out is he going to stay with the Cleveland Cavaliers or is he going to go to L.A.? There's just so much about LeBron and what he does with the media that he loves to have control over. Well, I might have to fast forward a few parts in that movie when you go to the 2016 NBA Finals there. Oh, come on. I kid, I kid. It really helped the rivalry so much, and it was incredible, incredible drama. And I'll never forget that time in my life covering the Golden State Warriors at that time. But it does seem like with LeBron that either you love him or you hate him. There's no in-between. But why is it that he is the most scrutinized player in the NBA? I think because with most athletes, right, especially athletes like LeBron that are so big, we love to love them and we love to praise them. And then we love when they have a little bit of a dramatic fall off. It's with any celebrity, really. It's the whole Kardashian thing. We love to see, you know, people that are so on top of their game, whether it be in music and sports. We love to see the demise a little bit. It's kind of like this weird, messed up thing that are, is in the back of our brains all the time. We just eat that up. And when he went to the Heat, it was a little bit of that. You know, people kind of like ate that up. And so many people were on Cleveland's side for once nationally, you know, with Charles Barkley daring him to throw the powder at his first game back and threatening to put itchy powder in it. And then LeBron looked like such a villain with those championships with the Miami Heat. And then he shocked everybody and brought tears to everybody's eyes. You know, my own, my own included every time that I look at it with that I'm coming home letter mm-hmm. and the massive, you know, stadium sellout at Akron Infocision Stadium for just a return party of LeBron James to Akron and LeBron James to Cleveland. So he, he's been relevant for so long and he's never really had that true moment of just failure and fall off. And I think that's why people hate him. People are so sick of seeing this guy succeed time and time again. And you'll have people throw the record, you know, out at him, especially, you know, people that side for Jordan in the Michael Jordan versus LeBron right. argument and say, oh, well, LeBron, if LeBron is so great, why is he three and seven in the finals? Like LeBron haters love going to that line. But I think it bothers them a little bit subconsciously that he's been to 10 NBA finals. Like that is so impressive. So I, I think that definitely or nine NBA finals. I think that definitely bothers some people that he's just been relevant and been at the top literally since he was a 15-year-old. And at this point in time, it truly doesn't look like he's taken any step backwards. Like, I know the Lakers were kind of a disappointment last year, but this season before the pandemic hit, they seemed like they were primed. It, It was like all set up to be primed for another LeBron James NBA Finals push. As you know, so many people here in Cleveland, really myself especially, have kind of dubbed it just the LeBron James Open or the LeBron James Classic. 
should be what they renamed the NBA Finals to because it seems like he is in the thick of it every <laughs> single year. Let me tell you, as soon as he left the East, all of a sudden everyone was clamoring in the East. The East was wide open yep. for the first time in years. So it go- you cannot deny his ability. Do you think, though, if he didn't leave for Miami, he would have been he wouldn't have been as scrutinized. It would have been different. I'm not sure. To me, I think the decision, the whole departure for Miami is something that just needed to happen in the story of LeBron James. And he's talked about that too so often that, you know, that was like his college. It was like his growing up. And I truthfully don't know if the Cavs are able to assemble such an enticing team to bring LeBron home and to bring a championship to Cleveland if that doesn't happen because the Cavs were so terribly bad when he left. Happens when he leaves every time. Um, that they were able to get Kyrie Irving. They were able to draft Deion Waiters, who was uh, you know ultimately traded for J.R. Smith and Ivan Shumpert, who were two instrumental pieces in the championship runs those four years here. We wouldn't have been able to draft uh, Andrew Wiggins and win that lottery to get Kevin Love in a trade with the Minnesota Timberwolves. There were so many dominoes that needed to fall when LeBron left Cleveland for the, from the decision. And ultimately, I, I just think it was just something that needed to happen. Not, I, I don't know if it would have helped his scrutiny one way or another, because even if he would have you know stayed here and was one of those players that just never was able to get over the hump and never to be able to win a ring, I think that scrutiny would still be there and still be the same as it is today. Look, the night he was drafted, it instantly changed the NBA. This man not only created a brand, he created an empire. He's given back to his fellow players on and off the court. Do you think we'll ever see another player rise the way LeBron did? No, I don't. And that's coming from, you know, recency bias even of seeing the stardom of Zion Williamson with his time in high school, you know, with all those dunk videos that circulated on Twitter and his awesome time at Duke. And, you know, his first, Zion's first NBA game, everybody was watching the New Orleans Pelicans. Like, imagine that, where all of America's sports fans are watching the New Orleans Pelicans. Like, it was just so fascinating and so awesome to watch. But from a pure power, both on the court, off the court, philanthropy, media, acting, everything. I I don't foresee another LeBron James. He has his hands in it all, and I just don't think we'll ever see something like that ever again. Awesome, Nick. Well, thank you so much for giving me your insight on LeBron, the night he was drafted and everything. But where can people listen to your show, and where can people find you? Yeah, for sure. So same way that people are listening to this show, I'm on the Believe Podcast Network. You need to check it out at Believe in Cleveland Cavs on Apple Podcasts on Spotify. We're just kind of getting things off the ground right now, but as this offseason continues and we get a little bit closer to the draft lottery, a little bit closer to the draft, we're going to have some super cool guests on and have some super exciting interviews to get us ready for the next levels of the rebuild of this post-LeBron Cavs era. Thank you so much, Nick. Really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, for sure. It was awesome. We'll have to do it again. A big thank you again to Nick for hopping on and giving his insight on LeBron James and his career. I think we can say he's pretty good. Four NBA Most Valuable Player Awards and three NBA championships. I know, it's not six, but you can't deny what he's done. You know, at such a young age, he was dubbed the chosen one. Before he was drafted, at the time, James agreed to a landmark deal. 
the richest initial shoe contract in the history of sports. He had signed with Nike in 2003, but that wasn't the only company after King James. Reebok and Adidas were also in the mix. At the time, Adidas had a chance to land James with a 10-year, $100 million contract, but the company lowballed him, offering $70 million at the last minute. So Nike swooped in with a $90 million deal that has since transformed into a lifetime deal worth more than $1 billion. James actually ended up taking less money to join Nike and released a statement saying he signed a letter of intent on May 22, 2003, the same day as the NBA draft lottery. That night, moments after Cleveland won the top pick, team owner Gordon Gund had a number 23 LeBron James Cavs jersey in hand. The coveted pick appeared on TV in a party in Akron where he actually was repping his new brand, decked out in all Nike gear. Now, last year in 2019, Nike released LeBron 16 draft day shoes with the number 626 in the soles to commemorate the day he was drafted. You know, whichever side you take in the Michael Jordan versus LeBron James debate, in the end, there's one thing that both sides can agree on, that LeBron has greatly impacted and changed the NBA. So now I'd like to hear from you. What are your thoughts on LeBron James? How has he changed the NBA, the sports landscape, and the world? Let me know by reaching out on Twitter at Anna Kagarakis, that's K-A-G-A-R-A-K-I-S, or by using the hashtag Sports Time Machine. Some other interesting events happened on June 26th in history. Countdown is on. We are just six months away from the most wonderful time of the year. Yes, I am talking about Christmas, and I hope I didn't stress anyone out here but the man in the red suit is amping up for the holidays. Now, on this day in 1870, Christmas was declared a federal holiday in the United States. Here's a little cool Christmas fact. In the 1800s, German immigrants brought with them the practice of placing evergreen branches and trees in the home during the winter as a reminder of life during hard times. Now, I love decorating my Christmas tree and go all out every year. So to all you Germans out there, Dankeschön. And since we talked about LeBron James, who's referred to as King James, it's time to bring in another king. In 1977, the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley, performed his final concert of his life in Indianapolis at the Market Square Arena in front of a crowd of 18,000 fans. Elvis sang his classics in a performance around 80 minutes and closed the night with a favorite, Can't Help Falling in Love with You. Wise men say Only fools rush in But I can't help Falling in love with you As he left the stage for the final time in 1977, the king of rock and roll told his fans, We'll meet you again. God bless. Adios. On August 16, 1977, he passed away at his home in Graceland, Memphis, Tennessee. 
Well, that will do it for today. Thank you again for listening to Sports Time Machine. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate Sports Time Machine on iTunes. We're available on all your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find the show at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Anna Kagrakis and on Instagram at Anna Kags. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Well, time flies when you're having fun. Thanks for heading down memory lane with me. I'm Anna Kagrakis, and we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.